This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women and addiction. back to another episode of the Worth Recovery Podcast. My name is Amy. I am your host here. I'm a sex addict and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And I am excited to be continuing our focus on women's stories this year in 2020. As you know, I've been focusing on trying to tell as many women's stories as we can this year. Um, And I'm excited about the response as I've reached out to different people. And so today I have a guest with me. Her name is Crystal Garcia. Hello, Crystal. Hi. Hey, we're super excited that you're here and so grateful that you're willing to to tell your story to us with us today. Um, Crystal reached out to me from Stacy Sprout. So we've had Stacy on the podcast before and and she's been a great advocate for women and sex addiction. And Crystal and Stacy are friends and and Crystal, uh, Stacy was generous enough to let Crystal know about our our goal here to share stories, and so she reached out, and we're grateful to have you here today. Thank you, honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Crystal, I just like to jump right in and just kind of give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump right into kind of your healing and journey. Okay, sure. Thank you so much. So my name is Crystal, as you know, as you said, and I'm a writer and I take care of pets right now and everything. So I live in New York City and I have had quite a journey. I spent 13 years in the so-called quote unquote sex industry um, mm. as a dominatrix stripper and prostitute. So, and it was a very intense journey to get away from that world and to realize like all of the addictions that were being preyed upon pretty much and what kept me there as well. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. And now I have the most beautiful life. I have like, this is the safest my life has ever been. It's amazing. I have a life filled with joy and peace and, and that just would not have been possible with, without all of the work that it took to get here, including recovery, you know, the 12 steps and everything. So Wow. Yeah. So let's start with how did you get into that industry? How did you, what, what, what led to you, you know, getting into prostitution or uh, stripping? How did that start and what led to that? Well, sure. Well, I was molested when I was eight. So that kind of set the basis for my misunderstanding and not knowing that, you know, not knowing sexuality and, and having, uh, a traumatized view on sexuality and thinking, you know, normalizing that trauma, because that's what was Mm. normal to me. I grew up with a lot of abuse, a lot of physical and emotional abuse. Um, And so to me, that, that was the norm. Like it wasn't normal to have like uh, peace and, you know, uh, feeling joyful and feeling free. Those were just not normal feelings for me. 
Um, the, or, or it sounds like even basic safety. Right. Safety. That that never happened. Like I said, I mean, I'm 38 years old now, and this is the first time I've ever felt safe in my life. So um, yeah. that's definitely new for me. Um, so yeah, it was, I tried running away at, I think I was 17. And that was the first experience I had with um, the exchanging money and sex um, mm. and sexual action. Um, and then from there, but even like throughout those years, I, I was like very, just a, a lot of confusion. You know, I didn't, everything was trauma to me. So that was the norm. And so I started to see myself um, uh, be drawn to the whole BDSM thing, even before I really knew what that entailed. So at 18, I was in college and um, I was acting out all over the place. I mean, drugs, alcohol, sex. Um, and so being a sex addict, it just escalated and went into, uh, it went into, you know, I found myself in the sex industry. Also, um, I was trying to find work. I had no work. I ended up um, meeting with uh, this guy who ended up being a, a pimp. And uh, luckily I got away from that, but I found myself stripping. I found myself um, prostituting. I started the whole dominatrix thing. Um, and it was like all of the other addictions, the alcohol, and the drugs kind of like kept the sex addiction masked hmm. um, because in order to continue the sex addiction, I'd had to numb out. Like there's just no way for me to allow so much abuse on my body. And I say allow loosely, um, but to experience right. stuff, you know, and to, it just, to me, it was like, it's normal. You, you get abused. That was my, my, my pattern. I, I didn't even think of it that way though. I didn't uh, acknowledge it as abuse because it was just a norm. So that's right. just how, you know, I was going to be treated. And then I also uh, bought into the lie that um, acting out sexually is, is female empowerment, which is like mm. the biggest lie ever. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of, you know, but the, the addiction is what really between the, 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 the poverty, the starvation. Um, I remember I was, I spent a week. Um, I had a loaf of bread to, to eat the week for the week. That was it. I had nothing else. Um, and I'd been applying to jobs. There was nothing. And, um, I was in Philadelphia at the time and, um, and then my sex addict, um, I, I got, you know, I was drunk and, I, I got money for dancing on my table and, and my sex addict and the rest of my addicts were like, this is perfect. You know, like it, right. was, it there was the perfect way to act out. Um, and then, and then the lie of, Oh, it's a lot of money, which is the biggest lie because no matter how much money I made, I had to use it in my other addictions to keep numb, to keep going. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, are you open to some questions about that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the terms that, or one of the phrases I always hear in a sex addiction recovery is what, what, and trauma really is what, what, what fires together, wires together. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that phrase? I have not heard that phrase. Yeah. And 
what fires together wires together and and recovery is that process of like detangling those wires mm-hmm. so that they're not firing at the same time mm-hmm. and when i heard your you know when i'm listening to your story here i just hear so many things that kind of all got wired together right like mm-hmm. fear you know like if you're if you, a sexual abuse fear abuse in general alcohol drugs you know, feeling unsafe, unsettled, all those things kind of just got all fused together. Yeah. Yeah. And not having a safe place to land. Um, like I, I lived with, um, my mom's bipolar schizoaffective. She is amazing. She was super sweet to me. Like that I think was a saving grace when I got to be around her. Um, but I wasn't at the age of 12, I, she wasn't able to, the state decided she wasn't able to take care of me. So I became a foster care kid with a, a family wow. member until I was 18. And then I lived in some foster homes, uh, you know, sporadically. And I didn't really have a safe place to go. So between that and uh, I'm like, well, I have to make it on my own somehow. And then my addict being like, yeah, this is the best way to do it. Like it was just, it was just awful. Like it was a, it was a terrible stew. Yeah. I, I know so many um, women and especially foster kids. When I was teaching high school, I worked with a lot of foster kids mm-hmm. um, who fall into some type of, you know, sexual sex industry, women particularly uh, because of just the lack of safety, the lack of resources that feels so normal to them. Mm-hmm. Um and so they fall into that because it's a way to make money. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know that it's a whole lot of money, but right. a way to, you know, make money quickly mm-hmm. um, and a way to make money. And it's, it's just normalized. Yeah. That whole unsafe feeling of unsafe, unsafety. Yeah. Whatever that word. Yeah, totally. And there were times where the money was a lot, but again, the amount of money that had to go into, and then there was the, you know, the food, the, um, yeah, the food, that was a big one. The food addiction would come in, the shopping addiction, the alcohol, the drugs. So no matter how much money was being made, it, a lot of it had to go back into sustaining, uh, numbing out to let the addictions run the show to keep going back to quote unquote, the sex industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. like, yeah. So a lot of times in recovery, we talk about the escalation that happened, Mm. you know, in, in our addiction. So you're, from what I'm gathering, you know, around 17, 18 is kind of when this started for you, when you had your first exchange of sex and money. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you said you'd been in the industry for, was it 17 years? I was in it 13 years. I was a dominatrix for 13 years, a prostitute for seven and a stripper for nine. So how did that escalate for you? Tell us a little bit about kind of how that escalation happened um, throughout your your journey in in that. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So um, it for me it was just it just went right into it. You know, like it was straight into stripping, straight into prostituting, and um, I worked for um, quote unquote escort. I worked for a pimp. Period. Um, uh-huh you know, they call it escorting services, whatever. There's someone who owns it and there's a pimp. Um, and so, and then I had a driver who carried a gun and would take me to, you know, wherever. And um, yeah, I mean, 
and then I was working like in dungeons and um, I was doing that privately as well. And so it just, I also was uh, doing submission as well. So it was the dominatrix, but I was also a submissive for if people who don't know what that means, it's someone who gets dominated. Um, and um, yeah, it just, it it's like, it's interesting because it's like I dove right into it, but it just, it doesn't, it does keep going. Like it, just when you don't think it could get any darker, it really does. Um, so I did, um, I remember being in one dungeon and I actually, I only lasted a day there because luckily I got hired at the same time to uh, train to do something else. But um, um yeah, so I was there for like one day and um I remember the the madam, you know, the head dom and uh came up to me and was like, "Can you take a punch in the stomach?" and I'm like, "No." When I remember like sitting there just like thinking thinking about it though for a minute. Wow. Um and then I was like, "Uh no." She's like, "Don't worry, I'll do it." And I was like, "Okay." Um, you know, and just like when you, when you sit there in this, um, in these type of worlds and the things that get normalized are not only not normal, but if you were to say it to the general public, they would be horrified and extremely concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, but in these worlds, because it's become so small and because everybody else there has normalized it. And because the pimps make sure, whether they're male or female, make sure that you normalize it too, because they have, um, it's, it just, it just continues in that pattern. Like it just continues in that pattern. Like, you know, watching someone, you know, like watching her, um, a submissive was, uh, sitting next to me. We were sitting on a bench um, waiting for the rooms to open up. They were showing me the other, like, um, the other rooms in the dungeon. And, um, so we were sitting there and the Dom was eating. And then one of the subs was like, she, we're all women just sitting there. And, um, she was like, Oh, what are you eating? That looks so good. And so then she just throws it on the floor, just like, um, and the girl starts eating it off the floor. So this is the type of stuff that, you know, becomes like, oh, these things happen, you know, um, eventually I started, right. yeah. I was just gonna say that, that has nothing to do with sexuality. That's just food. Yeah. yeah. But in BDSM, it's all about that. Like, it's know, all the same. Yeah. Like bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. A dom right. is seen as, you know, the one you're supposed to worship or whatever um and then it's it's you know it's sadism it's sadism and domination right so it's like a submissive is just the lowest of the low and then the submissive takes on that anything literally this time any scraps from a dom are like that's amazing wow yeah and that's yeah that's one of the more milder stories but um yeah these are the times i'm sure sure, yeah i'm sure that's a mild story like yeah um but it's still heinous i mean it's 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 incredibly heinous and that's the mild side you know like that's what's crazy about it you know uh even even i was just thinking like even children know that you don't eat off the floor 
Yeah, even yeah, a, right. a child would be horrified that you know that that would be considered you know you know that's abusive. Like you don't right. talk to someone or treat someone like that. Um, but those things are normalized, and then eventually I ended up uh, doing suspension, which is hanging from shark hooks in the air, um, and going to parties like after parties that were like people being covered in cow's blood and like me slipping on it while I'm pulling um, away from another woman and our backs are linked together with shark hooks through our skin and a chain that's being pulled while we're running opposite directions. Wow. Yeah. That was considered a Saturday. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's, I, it's, I yeah. I'd imagine it would be easy to kind of get lost in that world. Oh, absolutely. Because it comes some normalized, you know, and then the right. lie, like, oh, we're just having a spiritual experience. I can have a plenty spiritual experience laying in my fluffy bed, meditating, mm -hmm. like totally. And even like, that's a spiritual experience. Um, you know, I mean, I was in these circles where this was normalized and I normalized it. Now, before I did that, I remember seeing someone who showed me that that's what they wanted to do. And I was like, that's completely insane. I would never do that in my life. Two years later, I was doing it and performing with it. Yeah. So it's like, it, you know, it, it escalates because the normalization escalates and then the numbing out you know, you know, you have to like numb out a certain level, then there's a next mm -hmm. level of numbing out. And then mm -hmm. it's like a continuous level of numbing out. And so like, I, I mean, I remember just sitting there, I was about to, it was, it was uh last, one of the Las Vegas's Halloween ball that I, I went to perform quote, perform at quote unquote, as a suspension artist is what we were called. Um, and um, I remember like just sitting there waiting to get these, because you get pierced right before, you know, before you go up and sometimes you have to wait. So one of the hooks actually went back into my skin. I don't know. Is this too graphic to share? Like, No, I think you're okay. Okay. Um, and so um, we were getting ready and they had to push the hook right through my skin um, to get it to come back out to perform. Um, and it was the most excruciating pain and went beyond my pain capacity. Um, mm. And the person asked me if I was okay. I said, nope, I am not okay. Not at all. Um, so someone came over to help me relax <laughs> as much as you can relax in a situation like that. And then I, I suspended and then I was up 30 feet up in the air on hooks. Um, and then coming down off after that, um, there is what happens is the body has to survive it. So you get an, an adrenaline kick to survive that kind of pain. Right. So then when you come down off of that, you have a huge high because the endorphins have, have kicked in. So mm -hmm. the back numbs out after a while and you're on a really big high, which can, you know, which can be confused for a quote unquote spiritual experience or can, you know, become addictive in itself. Uh -huh. um, but I remember being around people and um, this guy walked by and was like, 
I would love to cut you. Your skin would look so beautiful if, if it were cut. Like these are things that were, you know, like that's what wow. was happening. Benny, yeah. you go out into society and someone's like, wow, I'd love to cut you. You're like, oh my God, somebody called the cops. Like what right, are you, right. what the hell? Um, yeah. But in those circles, it was normal. Like I know what the smell of burning flesh smells like. Mm. That's not normal. Right. Right. So yeah, it get, it's darker than people know most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, like, you know, one of the hallmarks of addiction a lot, especially with sex addiction is mm -hmm. that double life, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. while you're doing all of these things and you're acting out and mm -hmm. you're, you know, a dom and you're performing and all of those things, yeah. are you at the same time, were you trying to have relationships and live a normal life or, you know, have, did you have kind of that dual life going on? I was trying to have relationships, but none of them were normal. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, I just, I didn't know what that was. I, I tried a lot of quote unquote open relating or polyamorous nonsense. Um, and it was just a hot mess. It really, it was completely, um, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was horrible. There was nothing healthy about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to relate when that becomes your like normal way of relating. Yeah. It's hard to relate in, you know, a, a, a real reality driven aspect or, or way to people. Yeah, absolutely. Because here I was, you know, in this, you know, I, I'm having sex for money, period. Um, no, like, no guy is going to be okay with that because it's not okay. <laughs> like it's not. Mm -hmm. And the guys that were, were quote unquote open relators or polyamorous or whatever. Um, and it was, um, it was just very unhealthy. Um, yeah. And oftentimes it was like the guy was going out and dating and doing whatever. And, and I'm just like sitting there like, okay, like try, you know, and my sex addict would come out. So I'd be interacting with that too. Um, mm -hmm. It was just, yeah, it just was very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when did you decide like, okay, I have a problem. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah. What, what happened that led to that? You know, so much stuff happened over so many years and it just didn't register. Like, mm -hmm. no, like all those things that were happening, I, I didn't know the, like, sex addict was just not, I didn't understand that. Um, and I surely did not think I was. I, I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm just sexually empowered and, and I'm just not a prude or whatever those words came in. Um, but I, I would say when I, I finally was, um, well, once, once I had my kid, that's when the world started to just, they shut down for me. Like, I, I mean, once I got pregnant, prostitution was done, stripping was done. Um, mm -hmm. I still dumbed for a couple years and then that died for me. Um, but my sex addict kept going, you know, I would still act out. Um, and then I found myself like going to these, uh, these sex clubs 
and interacting, you know, with this one guy taking me to these sex clubs and stuff like that. So acting out through that. And then the experiences that I had there, it just was like, this, I don't want this. This doesn't feel right. I don't, I'm not enjoying myself. This isn't, yeah. So that started to make me be like, mm, this isn't, you know, and the drugs I had stopped a while, um, you know, before the kiddo had come around. Um, yeah. but like the, the acting out, um, you know, going to the sex clubs and I was like, this, this sucks. Like it just, just felt awful. You know, I felt awful. I felt terrible. Um, I thought that that's what I was so used to acting out that I thought that that's what I wanted. But as I'm starting to recognize that I just felt awful and terrible all the time. Um, what also helped was getting sober from alcohol. So quitting mm -hmm. drinking made me really like it escalated the process of, um, yeah, I don't want to do that. Like I don't, you know, not my last, one of my last threads of numbing out, which was the alcohol, um, like being sober and realizing like this, like that's not what I want. So it took me, uh, you know, years of, of getting sober as well, being abstinent. Um, and then I finally found the 12 step program, of uh, 2018. So October, 2018, I had been absent for a few years by then, but I still realized that there were still like some patterns I had going on, like listening to, um, really degrading music towards women. And I'm like mm. telling myself, Oh, I like the beat. And I'm like, like <laughs> worth the lyrics like I don't think so and then I was like I think I have a problem because I couldn't stop listening to these really degrading songs and it just it felt like something was still off so that's when October 2018 I found a 12-step program uh, for Sex Addicts Anonymous and that's mm -hmm. my life has just been incredible like it keeps getting better I didn't even know it's possible yeah <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's go back and break that down a little bit because it sounds to me like there were some, you know, you had some steps along the way that helped you kind of go. So, um, I heard you say like you got pregnant and had a child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was that something that was planned? No, that was not planned. Like most yeah. of my life that was not planned. Um, but I was so happy um, I am a single, single mom as that's how it, it worked out to be. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So getting pregnant would, and it sounds like you immediately started to like get sober from drugs, alcohol, things like that. It took me a while to get sober from the alcohol. Um, okay. it took me years, years, you know, my, my kid was born and I was still, struggling with the alcohol for several years. Mm -hmm. um, but the drugs were done. And I had already told myself before, um, before even the thought of a child would be in my life that I knew I wouldn't continue with the prostitution and the stripping um, when I had a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and, and by no means am I saying anything, you know, I'm not judging anybody, you know, like I'm not right. to say, right. you know, like, Oh, I'm so great. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but it was just something that, that I knew I wanted to, um, 
do. And I still struggled. I mean, we moved around from different places for a while because I was still struggling trying to find uh, a place that I can create my life and everything. Um, mm-hmm. So we lived in San Diego. We lived in Oregon. We lived in Wyoming. Even that was that's that's wow. very interesting. Yeah, that's <laughs> I learned. I learned y'all from Wyoming. Um, y'all, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say it's a lot different from San Diego and New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then we ended up back in New York City. Uh, I came back to take care of my mom for about a year now she's in a nursing home, but thank God she's, her health is okay at least. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's been quite a journey. Um, okay. So you get pregnant, the drugs stop Yeah, and you stop stripping, you stop, um, doing, you know, prostituting. It did take Um, me a couple years to stop BDSM. Okay. It took me like, it took me a couple years to be like, and, um, because I was already starting to kind of pull away from it, but it, it took me a couple of years to be complete with it um, as far as like doing, doing it. And then it took me even more years to really start to detox. Once I started, once I left it, then it took me years to detox from it. And what I mean by that is like detox the mindset and start to break free from like the, um, the belief that I needed to keep in order to stay in the BDSM experience. Mm. Um, so it took me many years to detox and it took me years to get real with the impact I had on people as a dom. Mm. Um, and that was really devastating to face. It took me years to really um, get through that. Uh, and then once I realized that, then I started to realize what was done to me. Um, yeah. and that was only last year. Like I, as, as I started to finally, um, like as I continued my journey of health and recovery, I started to recognize the, um, the deep abuse that I had experienced mm-hmm. that I had still been in such denial over. Yeah. I, um, for for our audience, Crystal has some great videos on her website, and that all that information's in the show notes. Uh, you can access her website there, uh, where she talks about a little bit more about her BDSM journey, and and she talks about the problems with the BDSM community. And we're gonna do a separate podcast episode about that because um, I really want to focus today on just Crystal's journey. But there's a lot of information there. There's a lot of of things there that you can hear from her perspective as far as the BDSM community goes. And when I watched those videos, one of the things that really stood out to me, Crystal, like you had a couple lines that really impacted me. And one of them was, you do not need to harm someone to tell them you love them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I'm just hearing you say like that, that would be a, that would be a mindset, right? The mm-hmm. shift that you had to make. I, I remember listening yeah. to your video. You had to really kind of make that mind shift set that said like, I don't have to hurt you to tell you that I love you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I had to, uh, and all of that came from the beginning of like uh, self-love and self-care because I believed that that's how people showed their affection for me. 
Not, not right. that I had a conscious belief of that. It wasn't conscious. It was all subconscious. But I had taken on that people who love you hurt you. And so mm-hmm. I became that too. Um, I became the, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm just guiding you. That's the biggest freaking lie in the world. I was just feeding my, my sadistic behavior, you know, my own like trauma warped, uh, understanding of, of relationship and connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other line that you said, um, was hurting another person does not make us whole. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because there's this, this kind of like this, uh, well, it's not kind of, it's a total numbness in my experience, you know, as a Dom, um, there was like this, uh, bravado and this attitude and this kind of hierarchical way of thinking. Even when I challenged that, like, Oh no, I'm not coming from a space of hierarchy. Well, yeah, yeah, I was. A Dom <laughs> is a form of hierarchy. So is submission. And so there is this kind of like, um, status of the Dom, you know, and people try to pretend there, there isn't, or try to like wave that off. And I'm like, well, if there wasn't a status of a Dom, the title Dom would not be necessary. So I, you know, I started to engage and like, believe that I was like helping people and, and spiritually guiding people. And it just all sorts of nonsense. Um, thinking that this is the, or telling myself, lying to myself, thinking that I'm, I'm doing something good for the world by hurting someone. What? Right. You know, like it's just an intense, like brainwashing and self brainwashing too. It's like the, I like another way I had to numb out to let the addict keep running the show Mm -hmm. is the self lies, the denial. Yeah. And it gets, I hear that. I hear that a lot in your story. Just Mm -hmm. this, like, in order to keep doing what I was doing, I had to numb myself. Yes. Right. I had to stay numb. And so this process, this gradual process of becoming less numb, right? Like giving up the drugs, giving up the alcohol, Mm -hmm. giving up the stripping, the prostitution, you know, and then finally these last things of, of BDSM and dominatrix and, Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, alcohol, right? That's kind of the last yeah. few pieces that you shed of that, that numbness. Well, yeah. And I've actually started working on another one. Now my food addiction, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, once you uncover one addiction, they're all like, Oh, hi, <laughs> because it's like they keep hiding each other. Um, yeah. so I've had to keep, I, I got to the point where I'm just like, you know what? I am done worshiping at the altar of numbness. I want nothing to do with it. Um, and that requires, you know, recovery in a, in a very big way. And, uh, yeah. you know, so, and, a, and honesty, because really the body is authentic. It's, it's natural way of being is authentic. So if I'm doing something that feels off, my body will instantly react to that. So mm-hmm. in order to not move, like the, the, my body will call me and be like, Hey, this doesn't feel right. Something feels off. So if I'm going to keep living that inauthenticity of my, my addictions, I have to numb and shut my body up. Mm. I have to be like, I'm not listening to you. And in order to do that, I have to numb out some way, whether it's food, spending, alcohol, drugs, the sex, some way, anyway, you know, like to just not listen to my body. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. So as these things and these layers have been peeling off for you, um, I know you said in October of 2018, you found kind of a 12 step recovery group. Yeah. But what other resources were you using along the way? Like what other things were you, were you trying therapy? Were you trying other types of recovery? Like what other things were you using or resources that helped you throughout that process? Sure. Yeah. Therapy was invaluable. There's no way I could have gotten through this without therapy. Just no way, because I really needed support and I continue to go to therapy. Um, I need the support. And with all of the trauma that I've experienced, I don't have the tools to know how to place them in the appropriate place. Like I'm learning to remind myself that's in the past because I have PTSD and anxiety. And so when that comes up, you know, I needed the tools to be like, okay, acknowledge what's happening, you know, and take care of myself and slow down to take care of the PTSD triggers. Um, a couple years ago, my PTSD came in. Um, I'm sure I had it like throughout, but it just, it came in and it like, a storm and it came with agoraphobia. So for six months I had, um, uh, agoraphobia and I, I mean, I still had a kid, so I had to take her to school. And, um, so we would have to walk, I would have to leave early to walk super, super slow. Cause I just couldn't handle, um, and I have to wear sunglasses all the time and headphones. And I let my kid know, look, um, I love you. And I have to, uh, mommy has to put her headphones on. I have to listen because I would have to listen to rain sounds or anything to get through the six block walk and get back. And then I would spend all day just barely getting through the day. Um, just laying in bed, um, listening to rain sounds. Um, so it was really like, it just hit me. Like it was just like so intense. Um, so the first six months, the agoraphobia was really, really bad. And then for the first year and, um, and, um, so several years later, I still have the triggers at times, but, um, I'm because of therapy, I'm able to manage it better. Um, so mm-hmm. therapy was absolutely invaluable and continues to be, um, and, and, and can I, can I ask a question sure. here? Um, were you like, did you connect with the first therapist you met with? No, God, no. Actually, the first therapist I met with was really classist. Um, mm-hmm. And I would go into therapy and he would be like, just go get a job. And I'm like, oh, what? And our session would be like maybe 20 minutes and he'd tell me to leave. So I tried that one more time and I was like, nope, I'm not doing this. So it took another year before I decided to try and seek another therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a lot of um, ups and downs. And then I found an amazing therapist. Um, but then as things happened, she had to leave. So then I had to look for another therapist. And that was six months of a hot mess. Um, um, one of them, uh, she would kind of shame me actually a little bit in these very weird uh, ways that didn't seem to like fit with any, I don't know. So that ended. And then the other one actually, um, so, you know, supposedly trained in sex addiction or whatever, um, actually ended up triggering my PTSD because they were a firm supporter of BDSM and directly after, um, and, and female sex quote unquote workers and felt the need to keep telling me that throughout the sessions, even though I had expressed that I was, uh, 
you know, I had dealt with trauma from sex work and it was traumatic event. And I felt the need to be like, are you sure that, you know, you just didn't feel bad about being in it or because I've known so many sex workers who say they're, you know, so empowered with it. And I'm like, uh, just told you no. Um, and then when I finally got to the place where I shared my BDSM trauma, he sat there, crossed his arms and looked at me and said, I fully support BDSM. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And um, so that triggered my PTSD and it took me a while to let them, you know, to, I text them like I won't be returning and they had no idea why. Like, this is how deep that stuff runs. And then when I was looking for another therapist, um, I called, you know, I looked into some therapists and I was looking at uh, some of them were sex, sex therapists. Um, and I, I told them what happened. And this person decided to say the same thing and like kind of look at me a little like a lab rat, like, oh, well, I fully support BDSM, but I would be fascinated to hear your story. Well, I'm not here to freaking fascinate you. Like I, I right. support. Right. I'm not paying you money to fascinate you. Right. right. I like, I need support. And I just told you, I left someone who said the same thing. You feel so pushed to tell me. Here's the thing. Why do you have such a push? Like, what is this compulsion that you have to tell me you fully support BDSM? Right. At the expense of my safety. So I learned that any therapist that put quote unquote kink friendly was a danger to me because they would not be able to hold space for my trauma. Mm -hmm. And it took a while. And finally I have the therapist I have now and she's amazing and I adore her. Um, but it, it took time. And so we, I also um, had a friend who, who had a therapist who was, she was telling the therapist, I want to get out of stripping. And the therapist told her, well, you're just slut shaming yourself. And I'm like, what, what? So there is a really big concern with quote unquote sex therapists. I'm sure there are some that are good, but in my experience, there are sex addicts who have found a perfect place to nest in the quote unquote sex therapy. And it's very concerning. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that experience. I know it's hard. Like, um, I, th I think that's a common journey people face, especially women in trying to find a therapist that they can work with. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people that struggle to find, again, that sense of safety, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and they feel they struggle and they don't, they don't continue the journey, right? I mean, how much, like you probably, I heard you mention maybe four or five different therapists before you have the one that you have now. Yeah. And, and it, that's hard, right? Why would you go time after time after time and tell your story, mm -hmm. you know, and then be shamed and then keep trying. And yeah. I just want to, I just applaud your example of hope and thank you for sharing that. I, I know that's a hard thing to, to continue to do. And that I just want to say to all of our listeners, like you can do that. Like you don't have to stay with a therapist if you feel uncomfortable or you feel like it's not working for you or they're trying to shame you. Like you can, you can leave and you can find someone that's going to really support you in your journey. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
And it's worth it. It's rough. It's rough to look again, but it's so worth it because there will be a good one. Like the one I have now, she's just amazing. And just, just, I, it's awesome. Um, yeah. And I, if I, yeah, I, yeah, because it can be really damaging to be with someone who's shaming. Of course, that's not what they're supposed to be doing. Right, right. And yet we look at them as experts and we look at them and we can start to take that voice and say, oh, well, maybe, maybe I'm the one that is broken, right? Like right. maybe this is all me. And, and so I'm just always grateful when I hear of good therapists who can yeah. sit with, you know, a woman in their trauma and in their situation and, and support them. And I, and people that go through that journey to find one, you know, I went through my own journey to find one and, and, it's just impressive to me. Like, I think it's so hard. Why, why do we keep doing it? But yet we know it's so important, right? That therapeutic piece of, of healing is so important. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah I couldn't have done it without therapy and I, I am so grateful that I can go to therapy. Yeah. Okay. And then I, I'm sorry, I cut you off earlier. What mm-hmm. other resources did you utilize as you've kind of been on this journey? So you've had therapy, what else has been helpful to you? Uh, meditation. Um, and that shifted a little bit for me because I, again, you got to be careful with what resources you use because some of the meditations can get a little wonky. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to find like the meditations that felt, that felt right for me. Um, yeah. And then once I got into recovery, I ended up going back to church, which was really cool because I was looking at like, oh, what sober things can I do? Um, and for me, my return to church was not out of desperation. It was actually... I had, because the recovery reached, I was reaching this really healthy place and I just wanted to expand my joy. So, um, I, yeah, I, I went back to, or I went back to church. This is the first time I joined the parish and I love my parish. So it's been amazing. And so now I, I do uh, Christian meditations cause it just, it fits really well for me. Like the, mm-hmm. it's very like, okay, this is clear. Uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and being of service, being of service has been the biggest piece for me because it helps me um, to step out of my own will mm-hmm. and to be there for someone. And I get to grow when I'm being there for someone too. Um, so it's a gift to be able to be of service. Um, so being able to like sponsor and, you know, um, yeah. you know, be a trusted servant at meetings, you know, and stuff like that has been really, really important. I mean, I vital to my recovery um, and connection. I started to, you know, with recovery, cause I, we also did the work on intimacy avoidance stuff as well, um, which I believe is the basis of, of all addictions, but I started to. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah. And Keep going. <laughs> right. so I started to reconnect with people and I started to connect with people and create healthy relationships based on like the people that I had in my life, you know, with recovery, it really propelled, you know, therapy and recovery. Um, also like self care and mm-hmm. self love like that for me was vital. Like that's foundational. The self love was foundational. Because with building that self-love was where every I opened to everything because I just couldn't do that in self-loathing. So I would do the way I started that was like, I just want to be 
like happy. I want to know what it feels like to be happy because my whole life didn't really get to, I had happy moments, of course, but they weren't the norm. Happiness was not the norm in my life. It was like a treat that happened once in a while. Um, so I really started to search for what that meant and for joy, really. And of course, I had to be careful that my happiness wasn't like, oh, let's go do an addiction. That's happy. No, that's <laughs> 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 not happy. That's uh, no. Um, so like I started to really connect and have healthy boundaries. And with those healthy boundaries came the, came the completion of many interactions. Um, yeah. Because I started to realize that's not okay. And I started having the friendships that I did have, the love I, you know, the people in my life showed me, even in the face of, because let me tell you, I was not kind. <laughs> I was not. I was like a wildcat, you know, like just something that you, you know, you see pinned up in the corner, just ready to lash out at any moment. So I had to really start working on my anger and start to get to the root of that rage and anger. Um, and there were so many people who have, I don't even know, by the grace of God, stayed friends with me through that process, that I had to really get responsible for who I was being with the people in my life, with my kid, with my family, with my friends, with, every, with myself, starting with myself. So I remember I used to think of myself as like this swamp creature. That's how I saw myself. You know, and I, I remember posting a picture of this swamp creature holding a rose. And I, I'll never forget this because one of my friends was like, you're not the swamp creature, you're the rose, you know? And so like, mm. shifting that perspective wow. of myself took years. And it doesn't mean that I, I'm human. I still have moments of self-loathing that try to like take over, but like having a foundation of self-love, I'm more readily able to recognize the lie that is self-loathing. Um, because of all of these practices put in place and because I followed that little, the breadcrumbs to self-love and it took a while. It wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't some bypassing Pollyanna, like we, I'm okay. It really took going deep into my shadow, into my darkness, into the pain and like loving myself in it to recognize that I'm not the swamp creature, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, mm -hmm. So the self-love has been foundational to it, including um, self-care routines. That was yeah. big. You know, just the little things of like, oh, what can I do? I, I mean, you know, some people say like, oh, it's, you know, vanity. It's not. It's self-care and self-care routines are so important because it's the way I started to show myself I love myself and I'm worthy of my own time. So that was really big. Um, and so now I, I just, you know, I'm just a part of so many different things that really enrich me, um, especially outer circle behaviors, like expanding that was huge because mm -hmm. I started to realize for me as, a, you know, sex addict, the world was sex. That was it. It was like this big word that just encompassed my entire view. I could see nothing else, nothing existed. But in recovery, like putting together, you know, my, my sponsor, I was like, 100 things of outer circle. I'm like, what? Ugh. But that's <laughs> so amazing for me, because it started to make me get me related to the outer circle life itself is so much bigger than the sex addiction. And then I started to realize, okay, yeah, sex is a, you know, can be, is a, you know, 
in a non-addictive way is a healthy part of life, but it's not all of life. It's part mm-hmm. of life when it's right. authentic and when it's in a healthy way and with love present. But otherwise, so yeah. For real quick, for those not familiar with the three circle method of sobriety, oh, yeah. right? So like. Um, our inner circle would be those behaviors that we abstain from, mm-hmm. um, kind of like our bottom line type behaviors. And then the, the middle circle, it's like three concentric circles, right? Mm-hmm. So the middle circle is our slip behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. And then our outer circle are all those things that we do to keep us from getting into the center, right? So all of those beautiful things in the world that help us to take care of ourselves so that we don't end up um, in the middle circle. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) No worries. I just know that we have a lot of listeners from a lot of different S fellowships and a lot of different, and not even in a fellowship. So sometimes we we talk about, we, we use terminology so easily, Uh, right? Like the outer circle, I'm in my outer circle and a lot of people don't know what that means. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, Yeah. Thank you. So then I started to realize like, wow, life is so big. Mm-hmm. In the addict experience, life is very small because it's just the addiction or addiction. Mm-hmm. And But that's even if it's multiple addictions, it's still a very small world. And but it, it's like it, it creates itself as if it is the whole world. But in recovery, I'm like, wow, that's not life. You know, and then I just opened up to the the beauty of life and the experience of life and you know, I, I, I wake up with joy and excitement for the day and to get started and to, um, you know, care for my home and, and explore how I can, what else I can do. And I, you know, I dive into like my writing and my, you know, artistic experiences and stuff like that. And so it's been amazing. Life has opened up for me and it's been beautiful. Thank you. I, there's so many things that you've just said that are foundational, you said, to recovery, like moving from self-loathing to self-love, right? Yeah. Be dealing with my shadow side, loving myself in the pain, all of these things, uh, self-care, like understanding really the deepness of what self-care looks like, working through your anger, you know, um, and then also, of course, I totally 100% agree with the idea that all addictions are based in intimacy and avoidance. Yeah. And and yet these are all the things that a lot of people don't want to do, right? right? Like they live in that negative sobriety of like, I'm just not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. But they never get to the joyful part of sobriety. Yeah. Like, you know, that I can hear in your voice and I can hear in like the excitement that you have for yeah. life and love yeah. and, and all those things, because, because we don't move from self-loathing to mm-hmm. self-love, right? Or because right. we stay stuck in those emotions that we, you know, aren't, aren't necessarily really working through or working on. And we let that run our lives. Yeah. Can you, um, this might, I know that you said it took years, right. Mm -hmm. To kind of move from that self-loathing to self-love. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about maybe what that was like or a a strategy that you used or, you know, something that can kind of help, uh, people that are listening to to dig into that a little bit further. Right. Well, um, definitely. Like, like um, now that I'm in recovery, because I remember when I first came into recovery and I was like, ah, this is a punishment. I'm being punished. But I'm like, I realized <laughs> no addiction is the punishment. 
recovery is the freedom from that. So it's, it's a whole paradigm shift because I was so used to my whole life was punishment. So of course, addiction feels like, oh, this is normal because addiction is punishment. The lie of addiction is that it's freedom and celebration and, and, oh, I'm just partying. No, it's punishment. So Mm. shifting from a punishment based paradigm, like, and I'm not saying I I a hundred percent, like, don't, of course, I'm still human. So none of us ever get there, but yeah, but like making the big shift of that being the norm to um, self-love being the norm, like, yeah, like it took me time, but it really, I had to, it was uncomfortable. It was Mm -hmm. just uncomfortable and really challenging. And there was a lot of cognitive dissonance. So one of the things um, that I had to face in order to get to this you know, as a, as a Me Too survivor, having to face like the trauma and everything. Um, for many years, I, I actually hated men. Like I just did. And I just felt so entitled to stay in that. Um, but then I, as I started to challenge that, as I started to question why, you know, and I was like, well, I know why, because X, Y, and Z, but I was still projecting it onto half of the planet. Like take the gender away. And if, if I were to say, I hate half the planet, people would be very concerned for me and want me to be okay. They'd be like, I don't know about that. So um, true. Right. right. <laughs> but because yeah. I was saying, oh, I hate men. This is, you know, people resonated with that. And that was unfortunate because it did not help me get to freedom. So, uh, it's, it was very challenging for me because I had to allow myself the freedom to really start to go deep into this uh, projection onto the half of the planet. I mean, and not all of it was conscious there, you know, most of it was not conscious. Um, there were times when I was like, yeah, I love men, but there was still an unconscious, like distrust immediately. And I'm not talking about like, um, Um, again, I'm not talking about some Pollyanna, like, um, I'm just gonna, you know, everything is roses and, and, you know, unicorns. What I'm saying is like, my body would react when men would walk by. And I'm not talking about a threatening situation. I'm just saying just walking down the street. Um, I would, it was not even, I had no control over it. I didn't feel like I had control over it. Anyway, it was, I would shrink away. Or I'd like my whole body would kind of recoil in a sense. So it was very deeply ingrained as my experience. But as I started to talk to men, as I started to listen to men, and I started to hear the trauma that men were experiencing um, from men and women, I started to realize that there, you know, men were my Me Too survivor people too. Like, I was like, whoa, my God. And what that did was it helped me come out of this feeling like I don't belong here because I'm a female. Um, Because Mm. my trauma left me feeling like, well, I guess I just don't belong. I'm not really a part of society because I'm a female, like all of these subconscious thoughts that my trauma had implanted. And so getting that connectedness with men and listening to men's experiences, listening to the trauma that men had experienced, it really opened up for me to realize like, oh my God, yeah, like men are going through some extensive trauma and, you know, they're surviving alongside of me. So it, it, it opened up an empathy for me that 
I didn't realize was shut down. And what it did was it completely broke open this freedom for me. I still remember the day when it really hit me that my perception um, of the world was not what I thought it was. It's like, you know, there aren't men hiding in the bushes to rape me on every corner. And like, as extreme as that, that sounds, that was how my trauma had me imprisoned feeling. So I realized that I was, you know, men were right there, like suffering with me and experiencing these traumatic experiences as well. There was this, I felt this huge weight lift, like an actual physical weight lift. I Mm -hmm. felt this like, oh my God, like this freedom uh, open up for me. And I just started walking down, like, I know this sounds like really <laughs> excessive, but this was how I lived my life. So when that shifted for me, and it took time for it to shift because I fought it all the way, but when it shifted for me, I was able to walk outside. And I remember, like, just I had this refreshed feeling when I looked at men. I was like, oh my God, wow, you know, this is not. The world is not as scary as I thought it was. Are there horrors that happen in the world? Absolutely. I'm not saying that. Um, But it's not as scary as I thought. So I walked, started walking down the street with this relief. And I was walking by these guys and I didn't flinch. And that was so huge for me because I had been so ingrained in my trauma. And I had so felt this entitlement to hold on to that pain and this prison that kept me feeling devastated. And a lot of that rage was this devastation of feeling like, like a trapped animal, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I started to challenge my perceptions of men, I really started to, I, I found a freedom that was bigger than I ever knew possible. And it just brought such a huge opening for me. So now my perception of men has been healed. And I, I speak about, you know, loving and celebrating men um, as a, you know, loving men. And it's a freedom for women because mm-hmm. I remember that prison of, of walking around in this paranoid, hyper paranoid, really state. And quite frankly, for me, I was still leaving, living in the effect of the people who hurt me. So it's like, even though, you know, the sexual violations and assaults had, they stopped happening a long time ago, those people were still running my life through my perception of men, if that makes any sense. Like, mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. still living at the effect of my assailants. They had begun, they had dominated my life, even my perception, even my joy, even my freedom still. So that was a huge piece for me um, in allowing myself the freedom to relax. And it's actually, it's so moving for me. It almost makes you want to cry because I never thought that this level of joy and freedom would ever be possible for me. Um, And when I dove deep into challenging that perception, I I had no idea what was going to come of it. And also um, through that experience, what happened too that I didn't, again, I did not expect was men were actually supporting healing my relationship with women. Um, So after working for so many years, a quote unquote, I say working, you know, uh, in the sex industry, sex trafficking industry, um, women were very much uh, my, what do you call that? 
competition. Yes. Yes. So my relationships with women suffered massively. You know, I had a very hard time. I had good female friends, but I had a very hard time. Even though I had no male friends, pretty much, uh, which someone had pointed out to me. They're like, do you realize that there are no other men in your life? I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and then my relationships with women suffered too. I mean, I, bottom line, I couldn't connect with people. Mm-hmm. So in my healing of my relationships with men, my relationships with women healed even like I had already started that journey, but it got even deeper because men would see um, like how I was reacting with women and they'd be like, maybe you should be gentle with her. Like what's Mm. going on there? You know? So it was very interesting how those two journeys kind of uh, connected beautifully with each other like healing my relationship with men enhanced healing my relationship with women too. Um, Because as I started to humanize men, you know, because with my sex addiction is all about dehumanizing men. I mean, if I'm acting out, he's no longer a human being. He's a thing to act out on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so dehumanizing men to be a trophy, to be one, and then treating women as competition to the trophy. So in that, dehumanizing the women too. So there was a lot that had to be worked through for me to start having healthy relationships with men and to start having healthy relationships with women. Yeah, I think I appreciate that so much. Like, I think that there is a healing that has to happen within, you know, yourself, like within yourself Mm -hmm. and then with, you know, one gender and then the other, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's a healing between genders that has to happen. There's a healing with other women that has to happen. And there's a healing within yourself that has to happen. And I think that I loved how you framed that in just this like paradigm shift of kind of reframing addiction as the, the prisoner and the punishment, right. And recovery as the freedom. Mm -hmm. And and then I, I could see how you extended that to just like loving yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. instead of loathing yourself and like, that's the freedom, that's actually the punishment, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me. And that loving myself, allowing that for myself, that's, that's the freedom, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, then, love, I love that, that piece. Thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, then there was like, I, one of the things that's been opening up more and more to me now, um, because recovery just keeps opening. It's awesome. Uh, no matter how long, it just keeps getting even better, which is amazing. Right. Um, is that when I don't show up perfectly, or if I, if, you know, when the warden, I call it, you know, the, the, the attic, the warden, here comes the warden. Oh. When the, <laughs> like, I'm free warden. I love that. Okay. Oh. Okay. When the warden yeah. shows up. I'm free warden. Go home. Go have a snack or something. You sound hangry. Um, like, <laughs> you know, like when the warden shows up and I'm just like, you know what? No, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to be super radical. Self-tenderness has been so important for me. Like, mm-hmm. like, okay. Okay. I didn't wash that dish. I'm not, you know, the devil incarnate for that. It's okay. You know, there's not, there's a disconnect with reality and how, well, you know, I've seen myself and even still at times. So I, I, I do, you know, catch it and need to work through it. But like the panic that wants to take over the attic that wants to hook onto something to rage about because it's, it needs that adrenaline rush somewhere. 
um, Mm -hmm. including raging about myself. So now I'm like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. If, if, you know, things are a little messy right now, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to relax. I'm going to drink some water. Maybe I'll watch something, do whatever. And I'll come back to it later or tomorrow. It's okay. Yeah. Like I don't have to be perfect to right. to be present to my own love because really I, I had to get related to the that I I don't even I, I say I'm worthy of my own love but I don't even need to be it's innate it's right there there's no requirements mm-hmm. always innately there just just like hey whenever you're ready I'm just here you know be present um, so doing that and listening to my inner child. Um, one of the things I got for myself when I started my sobriety of um, alcoholism, I bought myself, I was really struggling. Like it was physical. There were times when I physically fought myself. I had like, you know, half dressed on the bed. And I'll never forget this. I had my forehead on the floor because I was draped over the bed crying because I was fighting myself to not get dressed to go to the bar. And it was just like, uh, in hindsight, it's comical now, but it was like, you know, (laughs) like, wow, this is a problem. Um, (laughs) I I went and I had bought my kid this big, this like huge three foot teddy bear. And then I went back and I was like, I need one. I need, I need bear too. And I bought myself this big and I still have it. My big brown teddy bear. Um, and I made it out to little me. And that big fluffy teddy bear got me through withdrawals. Like I would just snuggle it and just snuggle it. And uh, I still, I still snuggle with my teddy bear. I, I am not ashamed. Like <laughs> I'm having a rough day. I will Good for you. Good for you. I will pull that teddy bear out. I'm like, I, I would rather snuggle a teddy bear than act out. We're good. Um, so really at like acknowledging my inner child and doing things that my inner child wants to do. Like I'm going to, I have a bunch of like tissue paper that I remember when I was little gluing to pieces of paper. And I love that. Now my kid is way too old for that. And they're just like, that's not <laughs> happening with me. <laughs> I'm going to do it myself. You know, like. I'm I totally it. remember doing that. I loved doing that I as a kid. Know. It's so fun. Yeah. So I'm doing yeah. that later today because my inner child so wants it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so really listening and acknowledging to that inner child, because for me personally, my experience is a lot of the, the, my inner addict is my inner child often with a warped view of how to handle things. It's my mm-hmm. little girl wanting to experience things, but I, you know, it has an adult body and it's like, what do I do? You know? So for me, right. like, and I noticed this a lot in um, in prostitution in, um, and in stripping. There was a lot of little girl energy, like a lot. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, and it wasn't until I left that I actually like, you know, I mean, when I was there, I kind of noticed it a little bit, but I didn't put the pieces together. Um, you know, like a lot of like my little pony stuff or a lot of like um, dress up, you know, the whole you know, mm-hmm. and process, there's a lot of dress up involved. So it's like this kind of like warping of the little girl energy. And I also noticed there's a lot of little boy energy there too. Like a lot, yeah. of, a lot of little boy too. So there's a bunch of kids with adult bodies 
in a hot mess, you know? And so for me, like it, connection with that inner child is so important and doing that inner parenting, like, okay, I know you don't really want to stick your hand in fire. What do you want? You want something warm? I'll make you, you know, a tea, you know, like just kind of like teaching my inner child, like, okay, I know we had no basis for health. Um, and I let's, let's do things this way. What do you really want? Because for me, there is just something peculiar about the um, little girl and little boy energy running around, especially in BDSM, but very prevalent in um, stripping and prostitution as well. There were, um, um, there's, there were guys who went through with the prostitution because they wanted to be held. Mm-hmm. So those there were those experiences as well. So there's a lot of like, and it's and very highly um, accentuated in BDSM, mommy daddy stuff. Yeah. Well, and I just I so appreciate that reframing of that little girl energy that shows up in ways that and tries to get her needs met right in ways that are damaging to us. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, you know, just asking like, okay, you need something warm. Okay. Let's do this. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that sometimes as adults, we feel embarrassed about that mm-hmm. or we feel like I should be past this. Right. Like I hear that all the time. I shouldn't need that. Or I shouldn't, you know, I, I'm an adult, like I shouldn't need that or I should be past this or I should be able to handle that. And, and reality is like, you have an adult body, but sometimes that little girl shows up Mm -hmm. and sometimes she, she needs you to, you know, just take care of her. Right. And snuggle with her or, or just hold her or whatever the situation is. Yeah. So thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. The, um, the inner, like, yeah, just taking time, even like in meditation to just like visualize little me and hold Mm -hmm. me. Um, and I've, I've had some deep sobbing, experiences with that, which were really refreshing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Crystal, you've been so generous in sharing so much of yourself and so much of your story with us today. I am wondering if we could just kind of, uh, wrap things up here a little bit with two things. One, I want to hear from you, like, what does recovery look like for you today? Like, what are some of your routines? You know, I hear you say like, you've been sober for two years, you know, you've been working at least in your sexual addiction, other areas, you know, I'm sure you've been sober longer. Um, but like, what, what do, what do you do daily or weekly or how does that look now that keeps you in this good place? Cause I can hear in your voice, the joy and the peace and the happiness that you feel in your life. What are you doing on a regular basis that keeps you in that place? Yeah, sure. So, um, so actually from acting out, I've been seven, over seven years abstinent, um, for, with my sex addiction and I've been, sorry, I misquoted. No, 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 it's no, it makes no totally because you wouldn't know that because I, I came into SAA two years ago, like almost two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, uh, started abstinence a little bit before that but yeah so five years abstinent with that with I mean sorry seven years and a little over and uh five years sober from alcohol and over nine years sober from oh I forget well no that was longer okay I don't know anyway lots of things I've been sober and Good for you. Yeah. yeah so That's 10 amazing. years of um from sex work um mm-hmm. so yeah um 
So, yeah. So what I do now daily is um, I actually start off um, and, it, you know, it's different for everybody because, you know, but for me personally, I start off my day with uh, I read my Bible app. Um, so okay. I start off with a plan and then I spend 15 minutes in Christian meditation and then um, I make sure I do my food because I'm part of um, a, a food a food addicts um, thing. So I have to make sure I have my food taken care of for the day um, and eat appropriately. So I do that. Um, mm-hmm. I have self-care rituals where I take care of, like I do things for my body, my hair, my feet, my, you know, everything, you know, <laughs> like, so I put the yeah. things in place. I love to declutter um, to the point where I would probably annoy some people. <laughs> like I'm that weirdo who would like at times when I get bored, I color board at my closet. But that's another conversation. <laughs> but um, so I like I love walking. maybe maybe that's why I feel so connected to you. I did that last night. Oh, I color coded oh my, my God. closet. Yeah, no, for real, for real. Last night I color coded my closet. I love it. I love it. It's the best feeling. So I feel you. I know. I love yes, so- okay. I love watching decluttering videos and organization videos. That makes me really happy. Um, I spend, I homeschool. So I put together my, you know, what we're going to learn for the day with the kiddo. Um, and of course, quarantine now, I'm, you know, I got to do this spiritual um, education as well until right. everything lifts. But, um, and I, I um I just take good care of myself and I and I let my kid play in a healthy way. Like today I'm gonna go play with like glue and tissue paper for no reason. Like I give myself time to do things that have absolutely no reason at all. There's mm-hmm. no reason for it. Um so and that's been important because I'm a very like goal-oriented person and like achievement oriented person. I'm like, I have to achieve all the time. So I give myself space to not achieve all the time um and to play just for the sake of playing which that took me a while to do but so I let myself do that and um yeah and then I let myself rest and I I'm also a part of like um like I'm part of like my church we're doing a spiritual book club so I'm you know doing that and um I um later I'll be um on one of the meetings that we created for you know for for men and women who have mm-hmm. been in the industry, you know, so recovery. So I'll be doing that. So recovery is a big part of um, yeah. my stuff, you know, and I, I'm a sponsor. So I have the honor of, of doing that. Um, so I keep my recovery present in my daily life. Um, I do a daily step work with one of my friends and, uh, and I have a sponsor of course. And um, yeah, I let, I think, um, I mean, I write, so that's very healing for me too. So I, I, Mm -hmm. you know, I I work on my writing and, um, I, I get grateful about things. So sometimes I, I like to, if I'm starting to like spin, I'll stop and start getting grateful. Like I'll start like Mm -hmm. to write it down. I'll start writing a list of what I'm grateful for like a place yeah. to live, you know, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at, you know, food, right. things. Like right. I get, I try to come back to the basics and um, anytime I start to go to a place of um, feeling um, like unfulfilled or whatever, then I remember mm-hmm. that I really am 
more fulfilled than, than I've ever been in my life. And it, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean all of the challenges are gone or the struggles are gone, but it means that I get to be present to what I am, what is in my life and, you know, my daughter, our health. And that's, that's a big deal these days. And so, yeah. And service, service is a big, big one. Um, and, um, resting, I let myself yeah. rest. That's a huge one too. Cause I could go, I could just type a all over the place. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, just like, just do nothing. I read, you know, or nothing, just rest and play video games or watch TV or something. Um, and I let myself have fun and, and, um, humor is important to me. So I like to get a little dose of like watching something funny. Um, yeah. And mostly just like being super tender with myself and, and loving myself. Like being mm-hmm. that love. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So if you want to learn more about Crystal's journey or story, um, her website is in the show notes, but it's crystaldenisegarcia.com. And you can also just click on it, like I said, in the show notes. And she's got some great videos, some great blogs, and some great ideas about her experiences in recovery. We're so grateful that she's been here. I'm so grateful that she's been here today and be willing to share her experiences and her story with us. And then Crystal, I always let my guests uh, just kind of say, what would be your message? We have listeners all throughout the world, most, both men and women, mostly women, but there are some men that listen to um, what would be your message to those that are struggling in their recovery today or that are working on their recovery today? What would you like to share or what would be your message to them? Sure. Um, so for me, it's just remember that you are so important. I mean, the addiction wants you to believe you're not because that's how the addiction gets to survive, but it's either you or the addiction really at the end of the day, one of you is going to be happy. Both of you can't be happy at the same time. Um, and I consider myself like a self-love activist, self-care advocate. So the end of the day, the most powerful thing you can do for this world is love yourself and take care of you and just remember, you know, like I, I have this little motto, we rise, we rise together because it's true, but it all begins with us taking care of ourselves. Yeah. I loved when you use the word, um, radical self tenderness. Mm-hmm. That's the one I wrote down. I'm like, okay, I love that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes a difference. It does. Thanks again, Crystal. I really Thank appreciate you. you being here today. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And just a reminder to all of you out there listening today that you are worth recovery. A hundred percent worth it. No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how bad you feel today, no matter what you feel you're caught up in or trapped in, you are worth the effort it takes to recover. I know that. And if you don't know that, you can rely on me and you can rely on Crystal until you can feel that way about yourself. I want you to remember today that I love you. I think about you. I pray for you and I love you. I hope you have a great day. And until next time, Amy.
legal stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.